Drive to Survive got introduced in 2018 on Netflix, it just like shot up, like just took off on a crazy trajectory. Love it or hate it, I know Drive to Survive for diehard Formula Ones can be a pretty bittersweet entity in itself. You can't argue that it's entertaining as hell. What is good, gang? This is your boy Mel, aka Naldo Formula One, and you are now tuned into the Naldo F1 podcast. This is going to be episode number 13, lucky number 13. And I got this thing rocking and rolling. We're going two weeks straight in this bad boy. And I'm so excited to be here, man. Thank you guys for listening. As always, let's just get the housekeeping out of the way. Go ahead and pause the video real quick. If you're not already subscribed, if you're watching this on YouTube, hit the subscribe button, hit the bell for the notifications, and leave a like on this video, leave a comment on the video, share it to your peoples, man. Spread it to the world, man. Naldo gang, we here. We trying to grow this thing. If you're listening to this on audio, on it's available on any audio platform. Make sure you subscribe to the show. Leave a five-star review if you're on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. Anywhere else, just go ahead and download one of those two apps and then leave the five-star review as well. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all at Naldo Formula One. Cool. House or housekeeping out of the way. Let's get to the good stuff. Man, it is Miami GP day. I guess it's the day after. Happy Monday to you guys listening to this or Tuesday if you're watching this on video. Man, it actually, I'm pretty excited. I think it was a fairly decent race, all things considered. I know Miami's gotten a lot of shit over the past couple of years just about being, you know, not a true Formula One circuit. I know we're tired of all of the street circuits. I'm personally tired of all of the street circuits. But I thought Miami kind of delivered today. So Miami was a pretty pretty decent race today. Overall, I think I'd give it maybe a six and a half, seven-ish. It wasn't an absolute worldy, but I think that it was really solid. And I think that it had some really good moments. And it was a very good teaching point for people who are not familiar with racing. Now, everything that was going on outside of the race, that's just a completely different story. I think that, you know, we we come to Miami for more reasons than just racing. I think that Liberty Media and just the corporation is trying to make Miami a bigger thing than just about, like, the actual sport itself. And I'll get into that a little bit later. And if you read... The title of today's episode, then you know that that's probably what I'm going to cover at some point in today's topic is just the future of Formula One in America and, you know, just how much growth potential it has and this, that, and the other. But first, I want to get the the race out of the way because there are some talking points from this weekend, qualifying Saturday, two days ago, if you're listening to this, yesterday for me was... Oh, it was all over the place, man. I, I I was not expecting half of the things that I saw in qualifying from from yesterday. We saw Sergio Perez take another pole. I think this was his second pole in a row. And 
he performed really well in qualifying. People were all over the place. Max Verstappen, championship leader, ended up in P9 due to a red flag caused by Charles Leclerc. Spinning out, crashing in qualifying once again. And it's starting to become a little bit of a trend with Leclerc. I think that um, he just pushes a little bit too hard. I think that sometimes he can just get in his own head and feels like he has to extract every little thousandth of a second from his lap times. And he has to push every single corner right to the edge of grip to the point to where you don't really know if you're in control or out of control of the car. So I think that just can be too much for him at times. And we've seen a perfect example of that in qualifying yesterday. He spun it and put it in the wall, brought out the red flag, and kind of screwed a couple of people over from getting a second run in in Q3 because the red flag came out with like a minute and a half while everybody was on the outlap. And the FIA and the stewards decided not to continue the session because by the time they, they threw the red flag, there wouldn't have been time for people to get back out on the outlap and then get onto the fast lap anyway. So, yeah, just there was really nothing that Max could do. And then we saw Lewis have an awful qualifying. Man, it hurt. It was a, a nerve-wracking weekend for us Lewis fans and I think Mercedes fans in general because Russell – Qualified decently, I believe he put it P6, and Lewis was down in P13, didn't even make it into Q3. This is the first time that's happened at all in the U.S. for Lewis. Lewis has been racing in the U.S. for a while and has never started less than P6 at any race in the U.S. So a little bit of a shocker from Lewis. I didn't really expect that one. Yeah, it was all over the place. Fernando Alonso starting in P2, Carlos Sainz in P3. I'm trying to think of who else was out of place. I think that pretty much covers it. So, yeah, I'm I'm looking at the results right now or the uh, the qualifying standings right now. Kevin Magnuson, oh my god, how did I forget, almost forget that? Kevin Magnuson in the Haas putting it in P4. Now, I don't I don't think he would have ended up in P4, but man, this is why it's important when you're in qualifying, you got to get the the first lap in. Some people kind of take we've seen this happen with Lewis. Sometimes he can take a minute to get up to speed but it's been proven that it's really important to get that first lap in and make sure that it's it's a solid lap and put you in a decent position for qualifying because you never know what can happen guys can crash and guys can just not pull pull or ugh. guys can just put it in the wall or spin out and cause a yellow flag or a red flag at the end of the session and now you're you're SOL because you didn't get a good lap in in the first one. We saw Pierre Gasly, who had a really good weekend, put it in P5. Yeah, George Russell down in P6. Leclerc in seventh off his first lap because he crashed on his second lap. I still do have a little bit of an issue with that. I, I'm of the belief that if you bring out the red flag in a qualifying session, then you should lose your lap time from that session. So if you bring it out in Q2, Whatever laps that you've set in Q2, you should lose that, and you should go to the bottom of that session. So if you bring it out in Q1, you start P20. If you bring it out in Q2, you start P15. If you bring it out in Q3, you start P10. And so, yeah, that's kind of the concept. At least that's what I'm of the belief. I think I don't think you should be able to be punished or you should be able to reward, be rewarded for crashing the car and ruining, ruining everybody else's qualifying. We saw it happen in Brazil in last year with George. 
bringing out the red flag and pretty much saving his own ass and saving his position. And obviously he went on to win that race that weekend. But yeah, that's that's kind of what I mean. Nico Hulkenberg in the other half, starting P12, Alexander Albon in P11. It was just a crazy qualifying session. The home guy, Logan Sargent from Florida, he had a terrible weekend. Well, I'm going to do him a service and not just put him on blast right now. On to the race. I feel like a lot happened and a lot didn't happen. I feel like it was a really eventful race. There was a lot of overtakes, but at the same time, it just wasn't that exciting three, four-way battle at the front or even two-way battle at the front. It was more strategy type of deal that you were kind of waiting on to see, oh, who's going to pit when and how much pace are they going to have on which compound attire. We pretty much saw two strategies, either a medium to hard or a hard tire to a medium. And it looked like the hard tire to the medium was the best strategy. Being on the mediums at the end on lower fuel when the track had rubbered in and the pace got much faster, the cars performed much better than the cars that started on the mediums and grained really quickly, weared out really quickly, had to pit off of them fast and go very long on the hard tire in the second stint. The hard tire was extremely durable. I think Max Verstappen took it like 41 laps or something out of a 57-lap race, which was absolutely mad. But all credits to him. As far as the race results, the inevitable happened. Max Verstappen won. Him, in combination with that Red Bull, is like an unstoppable force, an immovable <clears throat> an immovable object. Sergio Perez, his teammate, took second. We saw, like I said, a little bit of a strategy battle between those two. Sergio was leading most of the race, pit early on lap 20, and just really couldn't find the same pace on his fresh hard tires that Max had on his old hard tires, which was kind of crazy to watch. Max cut through the field like butter. Nobody really put up a fight against him. There was no point there. He The Red Bulls are in a completely different world from everybody else right now, even I'd say there's probably a three-way battle for P2 on any given weekend between the Ferraris, uh, the Aston Martins, and the Mercedes. Depends on the track. But as far as, like, the Red Bulls, it's like Red Bull, those three, Aston Martin, Ferrari, and Mercedes, and then kind of everybody else is just a big jumbled mess. So we kind of have a three-tiered system in Formula One right now. So it's pretty interesting to see these, like, meshed battles so it's kind of an inter-team battle with just Perez and Verstappen by themselves and then a six-way battle with the three upper midfield teams I guess you want to call it podium contenders we'll we'll call them podium contenders and then the rest of the midfield is just an absolute jumbled mess nightmare day for McLaren nightmare day for Alfa Romeo Has their race pace wasn't necessarily there. Kevin scored points, but not much going for them. Yuki Sonoda, Mr. P11 this season. I think he's performing really well. He's been one of my highlights for the season. Very underrated performance so far. So shout out to Yuki for for that. Esteban and Pierre picking up double points in Alpine. So good result for them after a double DNF in... Australia when they took each other out. And I think Pierre DNF'd out of Azerbaijan last weekend. Alex Albon, despite his great qualifying, did not score points this weekend. I think 
they just didn't have the, the race pace. Uh, Mercedes finished four six, and given where they they qualified, that's a really good result for them. With Lewis starting P thirteen and getting up to P six. Now, granted, a lot of that was his own doing, but it seems like it's been a trend over the past couple of years that Mercedes will sacrifice qualifying pace for race pace. And fair enough, you only score points on Sunday. So I will definitely take race pace over qualifying pace all day, any day. But I would like to see them get it together. Apparently, there's a big upgrades package coming for Imola, which I believe Imola is in two weeks. So another sprint race great but yeah hopefully those upgrades bring big changes lewis is excited about them Toto has been trying to kind of manage expectations and rightfully so i think that you have to make sure that people know that these are not going to be these crazy upgrades where mercedes is going to be fighting with the red bulls at front out front just off of a couple of upgrades coming no i think that they're they might even take a step back in order to get further along later on down the season and even into next season. I'm pretty sure that they're thinking long-term instead of the short-term, and I think that's a good idea. I know Lewis has been extremely frustrated, and rightfully so. It was painful to watch him in, in qualifying and in practice because he just seemed pretty down in the dumps, was very negative. There was a couple quotes earlier this uh, this weekend, having him say, oh, I'm committed to Mercedes, but I'm not going to lie. Last weekend when I was behind the Ferraris, I did wonder what it would be like to race in red. And I think that's natural. I believe that at any given point, every driver that drives an F1 or every driver that races, period, thinks about racing for Ferrari just because they're Ferrari. They're, their racing heritage is so rich and so storied. And they're just, you see the red cars going by, and it's just, it's exciting. So I think it's natural that Lewis is thinking about that. But, hey, I go wherever Lewis goes. So if Lewis goes to Ferrari, you'll see me wearing, rocking the, uh, the, the Scuderia, the Prancing Horse in all red. Yeah, so we'll see what happens, how those stories develop. I pray that he stays at Mercedes. I think that he will. But I do think that in the back of his mind, if Mercedes can't show some sort of potential of closing up to the front, I do believe that he could potentially look elsewhere at the end of the season. Yeah, let me just pull up. Let me watch these race highlights, and I'll kind of we'll chat a little bit as we go along. I'm just trying to think of some some stuff that happened throughout the race that might have been a talking point or somewhat something of interest. Oh, yeah, uh, Fernando. Fernando was kind of in no man's land. He finished P3 once again. He's Mr. P3 this season. He's honestly been my driver of the year this season. He's been so positive and energetic. This is like a completely new Fernando. I don't recognize him whatsoever, and I'm loving it. I can't lie. I, I've been on record saying that I'm not the biggest Fernando fan, but I think that he has – turned a corner and performing well and I think he's genuinely just enjoying his latter years in Formula One especially now that he's driving a car that can be on podiums regularly even though we're approaching 10 years since I think 10 years to the day today that Fernando since the last time Fernando has won a race but honestly he's accomplished everything that there is to accomplish multiple time world champion won 30 plus races 
quite a few poles, a lot of podiums, I think 50 plus podiums. So he's one of the top 10 to 15 drivers of all time. So there's really not much else for him to accomplish. But my, my point was that he was cruising in his own race. He was about 15 to 18 seconds behind the leaders and was about 10 seconds ahead of Russell, 10 to 15 seconds ahead of Russell in fourth. And at one point, his teammate Lance Stroll made a move going into, I believe, turn one while Fernando was up ahead in the road on turn 11. And Fernando was so bored that he watched Lance make the move into turn one around the outside. It was a great move to his credit. And he literally got on the radio afterwards and was saying, hey, uh, tell was that Lance making a move into turn one? Tell him I said, nice move. And we were like, what? How did he even see that? Even the commentators were kind of paused for a second and were wondering how he even saw that. And yeah, he was watching the jumbotrons next to the track that show the fans what the action, where the action is happening, and saw his teammate making a move into uh, into turn one. So really interesting moment from him. Carlos Sainz struggled. He's been on a bad run of form recently. Got a five-second penalty for speeding in the pit lane, so lost out on, on a potential P4. Charles Leclerc struggled in the race, got stuck in traffic, and got passed up by Lewis at the end. And, yeah, there just wasn't wasn't much going for the Ferraris today, even though Sainz did still finish in the top five. Just struggle bus for, for Ferrari. And, yeah, I mean – that's pretty much it. Like I said, a, a lot of a lot of nothing happened in the race this weekend, and just I think overall it was really exciting. I just want to touch on Miami out, uh, off the track for a little bit. I think that it's good that Formula One is pushing this race and trying to make it a big event and stuff like that. All the celebrities, and at the same time, I have a little bit of a bone to pick just with what it's doing to the sport as a whole. I think that what's happening is formula one is becoming such a glamorous. I mean, it's always been this way. Racing is a rich man sport. I think that we all are all know that it's expensive to get into racing as far as participating. It's expensive to go and it's just, it's expensive to be a part of the sport. But at the same time, I think that Formula One needs to do a better job of catering to its fans and not necessarily to celebrities. I mean, some of it's a little bit ridiculous. We got guys interviewing drivers who know nothing about Formula One. We had a guy telling Carlos Sainz he was he got a podium after qualifying, which was ridiculous. And the the intro for the intro video before the actual like build up to the race if you know you know was also ridiculous it's just just frustrating man i think that we really need to focus on like teaching people about racing instead of making it this humongous like worldy spectacle like a like a flying circus like a traveling circus almost it's it's it makes it almost like a parody of itself and it's a little bit frustrating from somebody who's like actually a fan. So I think that Formula One should do a, a better job of catering to his fans, not to mention ticket prices, which are absolutely outrageous. I mean, me and my fiance are trying to plan on going to a race at some point this season. Hopefully it'll be Coda. I'm not 100% sure yet, but it's even Coda is ridiculous. I think for a three day pass, 
it's almost like a thousand dollars. And so Miami or Vegas, which the Vegas race is a three day pass, the cheapest one just for tickets, no hospitality package, no none of that was like five grand. That doesn't include flights, hotel stays, food, none of that. And then Miami, I think it was also like two, three grand for a three day pass, which is absolutely asinine. I mean, at this point, it'd be cheap for me to just fly to Europe and then go to Hungary or go to Spa or something where I'm going to see better racing. So I think that's a little bit ridiculous. And I think Formula One needs to just do a little bit of a better job catering to the core fan base first and then just using the celebrities and the glamour and the glitz to boost its its status a little bit more. But yeah, catering to your core fan base first, because if the fans aren't going to the races and watching the races, then the drivers aren't making money, the sponsors aren't making money, nobody's making money. It's a spectacle sport still. Yeah, so that's my my short, brief rant for, for the day about Miami and Formula One operations. Obviously, nobody important is probably going to hear this, or even if they do, they're not going to care because they're making bread, but I had to just get that off of my chest. But let's get into what we really came here to talk about today, and that is F1 in America. A little bit of a, the history behind F1 in America, where we're at currently, and then where I see F1 going in America in the future, because Liberty Media, the controlling ownership of Formula One, is an American company, they also own like Sirius XM Radio, like the Atlanta Braves, and some other stuff like that. They got a they got a crazy portfolio. Look up LMC. They they those guys are making dumb bread over there, make putting in pulling in bags. Man, I'm trying to get like them when I grow up. So yeah, let's 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 touch on a little bit of the history of F1 in America because it's longer than you think. I know some of you guys listening to this and watching this have probably just recently got into Formula One or are still working on getting into Formula One. But it's been around longer than than you think. So as far as history, Formula One dates back in the U.S. back to the 50s with the Indy 500 race. It used to, like, serve as an additional Formula One race along with, like, IndyCar and, like, NASCAR and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, we're coming up on like 70 years, 70 plus years in Formula One in America. As far as like the United States Grand Prix, it's been all over the place from Indy to Detroit to we've actually been to Vegas before and the Caesars Palace Grand Prix. Now, it took place in a parking lot and the racing was awful and it didn't very last very long, as you could probably tell. But, yeah, it... it we were in Vegas before. This won't be our first time in Vegas uh, in a couple of months. In November, we've been to Watkins Glen in upstate New York, uh, Long Beach Road Circuit. It's That was kind of – they were trying to make that the equivalent of the American Monaco, but that didn't necessarily work out. I think it was just too tight and twisty, and as the progressions of Formula One came through and the cars got bigger and faster and more aerodynamic, I just don't think – Long Beach worked, and Long Beach is a very rough circuit, too, as far as the streets are very bumpy and not necessarily suitable for open-wheel racing like that. Actually, in Dallas, Detroit, some other tracks like that, just we've been all over the place in America. It's really been hard to find a home as far as, like, the United States Grand Prix, but I think that 
I'll get into this a little bit later on, but I think that we're working on that. In total, there have been 58 American F1 drivers, most notably Mario Andretti is probably the 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 most famous. I'm sure you've heard the name Mario Andretti before. He is probably the most famous American driver. We've had uh, two champions so far being, respectively, Mario Andretti in 1978 and Phil Hill in 1961. That is it as far as, like, championship history uh, with American drivers. Mario Andretti was kind of the pinnacle of American racing because he'd done everything from, like, IndyCar and just everything. I think his success is more known for Indy than it was for Formula One, but still a world champion and to be respected. I don't know too much about Phil Hill. Obviously, that's the 60s. That was way before my time. And as far as, like, accomplishments from American drivers, we have 33 total wins, which is pretty good number, um, 129 podiums and almost a 1,000 points scored total over the history of the 58 American drivers. Um, a lot of people will debate that Mario Andretti, because he's Italian-born, that he's not a true American driver, that Phil Hill is the only true American driver. But Mario Andretti has been in the U.S. since he was like 16, I believe. So take that as you will. I would consider him an American driver. He accomplished everything driving under the American flag. And we've seen his company and his racing team do great things in America. So, yeah, I think he's pretty much the epitome of an American driver. But as far as, like, bouncing around and the history of the United States Grand Prix and where we're at, we have Coda, which is a staple on the on the, the Formula One calendar. I pray it doesn't go anywhere. It's one of the better tracks in the Formula One calendar, I believe. It's got a great mix of everything, long straights, fast corners in Sector One, a very technical Sector Three, a lot of slow, medium corners in that section, a very long back straight. We see a lot of overtakes. We see elevation changes, camber changes, it, all kind of stuff. I think it's the biggest single elevation change at turn one. It, if you've ever seen it, it's crazy steep. I mean, these cars are climbing up like damn near a mountain going into turn one. It's a great track. I, I'm so excited. I, I need to be there. I don't know if I got to break down the fence. So who has the plug for for – f1 tickets at coda somebody anybody works at coda man plug me with a little part-time job or something working concession stands i got to be there i have to i think the race is going to be great but coda has been on the calendar since 2012 so we're coming up on the 11 year anniversary of the united states grand prix at coda coda is outside of austin i believe it's about 45 to 50 minutes outside of austin I have family in Austin, so it would be an easy move for me. Austin's about two and a half hours from me, so I could literally fly up the freeway, stay with my grandparents, eat some home-cooked food, wake up, go to the, um, go to the track, you know, post up, bring a cooler, some lawn chairs, kick it. I just need the – I don't even need grandstand seats. I just want, like, the general admission. So there's so many grassy areas that you can just post up on. I think it would be a much more fun experience that way as far as, like, the grandstands. And I heard the grandstands get hot. 
because of just like the the sun shines like directly on them and it bounces right off that metal and it just damn near cooks you. So I think that the grassy areas might be a, a better play. As far as like the growth of Formula One in America, we all have to point to Drive to Survive. I think Drive to Survive is been one of the major factors, not only America in America, but just for Formula One in general. As far as like a big growth factor, we've kind of seen the the kind of stock kind of stay similar. It's been a lot of it's been an old man sport for a while. I didn't really know about it till fairly recently, and it's kind of just stayed here. And then when Formula One got introduced in 2018, or I said Formula One, when Drive to Survive got introduced in 2018 on Netflix, it just, like, shot up, like, just took off at a crazy trajectory. Love it or hate it, I know Drive to Survive for diehard Formula Ones can be a pretty bittersweet entity in itself. You can't argue that it's entertaining as hell. I mean, Drive to Survive has gotten so many people actually excited about Formula One because it puts faces to the names and then it adds a layer of drama and investment for fans to get to know the drivers off the track as well as the relationship between the teams, the team principals, the drivers, the history. And yeah, just, I mean, the arguments, the heated battles, it adds that nice spice to to Formula One, which can be sometimes a little bit boring. And sometimes you need those outside storylines to spice up the, the 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 action a little bit and add a layer of, of investment and getting people to like certain drivers and really back them. Now, it can create a little bit of the fanboy culture, which is annoying. And, but, I mean, that's any sport. You look at basketball with, like, LeBron fans, Steph fans, KD fans, Joel and B fans, Harden fans, Dame fans in general. You look at football, you got Mahomes fans and Justin Herbert fans, Josh Allen fans, Lamar Jackson fans. Just the the list goes on. But I think that Drive to Survive has done a great job of just showing us who these guys really are off the track because I think that Formula One suffers a little bit from the same syndrome that football like American football has which is that you don't see their faces that often like these guys when they're performing they have helmets on so football players have helmets on you rarely see their faces during games F1 drivers on race day they have their helmets on and even worse their helmets cover their entire face and their visors you can barely see their eyes most of the time and all you're seeing is generally the car so you really don't get to know these guys you don't get to connect with them on a human personal level. So I think that Drive to Survive has done a good job of getting us behind the scenes, despite its flaws with the audio syncing and making stuff, people seem like they don't like each other and cutting audio and cutting scenes. I mean, it's reality television. That's what all reality television does. It's been that way since the history of time, and it'll continue to be that way. But there's no denying that Drive to Survive has benefited the sport of F1, especially during COVID when people were at home and didn't have anything to watch. So they're scrolling through Netflix and they see a preview and they're like, oh, what's this? And they click on it and they're like, oh, shit, this is exciting as hell. And now you're you're deep diving into Formula One and now you've become a fan. I know I've personally created some F1 fans 
from Drive to Survive and putting them on to certain things, having them tune into races and that sort of thing, YouTube documentaries, all kind of stuff. As far as current state of Formula One, we're here, man. We're living it. We're seeing it. We have three races on the calendar currently, in America at least, which is crazy because no other country has three races. But it's a little bit different for my my non-American viewers. It's hard to put into perspective how large of a country this is. Like, for me to... Austin is the closest race to me, and Austin is two and a half hours from me. Like, say if I lived in Spain and I want to go to this, or let's use France. France is a better example. I could probably go from the French Grand Prix to the, like, German Grand Prix. Like, old used to be German Grand Prix. We don't have one anymore, unfortunately. Sidebar, bring the German Grand Prix back. We need a race in Germany. Germany and motorsport go together like hand in hand it's essential it's like the uk it has to happen so bring back hockenheim please back to what i was saying um i actually lost my train of thought a little bit um three races oh yeah that's what i was saying the distance as far as where we're at in america it would take me 16 hours to drive to the miami grand prix and i think it would take me about the same to get to Vegas, 16 to about maybe 14 to 16 hours to get to Vegas from where I'm at, which is Texas, which is kind of dead smack in the middle of America. Like the East Coast is about 12 to 16 hours east, and then the West Coast is the same, about 16 to 18 hours the other way. Yeah, it, it would take me, it takes me 10 out, 10 to 12 hours to get out of my own state. So that should give you some perspective on how large America is and why I believe that it's okay to have three races. Now, I do think that they could have picked better tracks and done a better job. I like just purpose-built circuits, real race circuits and not street races, just because most of the time street races don't create that good of a racing. I mean, hell, Vegas kind of looks like Sochi 2.0, just flat and long straights, right-hand turns, I, I mean, we all know that the reason why we're going to Vegas is not because of racing. It's for the spectacle. And fair play, I think that it's a necessity. So, in my opinion, Vegas is Vegas and Miami. Coda is for the real racing fans. If you want to see proper Formula One racing and real wheel-to-wheel action at a proper circuit, Coda is where you want to be. Circuit of the Americas is where you want to be. If you want the glitz and the glamour and everything that comes with the status of being associated with F1, Vegas, and Miami. I think that Miami is sort of a, they're trying to create a Monaco of the U.S., and I think that they're doing a pretty good job of accomplishing it because there's celebrities galore at Miami. We saw it today. There was all kind of people there. And I think it's going to be the exact same thing, but bigger in Vegas. So I think that if Vegas or that if Miami is Monaco, Vegas is going to be Singapore. Night race, on the strip, all the lights and, and everything. Yeah, I think that's a good good comparison to very Monaco and Singapore being two very rich, wealthy, 
glamorous countries and towns and cities and my Miami and Vegas being the same thing in in America. In fair play, I think that it could be be beneficial. I'm trying to stay overall positive. I don't think the racing is going to be great in Vegas, but I'm holding out hope that it could be and it shocks everybody. And it delivers an absolute banger of a race. But we will have to wait and see. As far as like American drivers, we only have one currently, and that's Logan Sargent. Unfortunately, he hasn't been showing, putting his best foot forward so far in the season. It's still early. We're only four races in. And he's in a Williams, which is not one of the better cars on the grid. I think that they have a lot of work to do. They've shown improvements. Alex Albon is in year two of that car, and he's been showing that there is pace in that car, and it's very stri- sl- ah, very slippery in a straight line that Williams is. We've seen Lewis had a tough time passing Alex today. It took him a while. I think it took him like almost 20 laps to get past Alex in a straight line, and that's pretty much always been their advantage is their straight line speed. I think that they just – they don't have the resources to get the arrow right, so they just try to be as quick as they can in a straight line. And shout out to them. They gotta be good at something. So I think that's a good good play for them. But yeah, uh Logan Sargent is this is his rookie season. He is the first American Formula One driver since uh Alexander Rossi in two thousand fifteen. Alexander Rossi is not related to MotoGP legend Valentino Rossi. Obviously, Valentino Italian, but yeah, no no relation whatsoever. Alexander Rossi kind of came and went, didn't really accomplish too much in Formula One. I don't necessarily expect Logan to accomplish much in Formula One as well, but we will have to wait and see. I think that he has he would have best case scenario, he puts in great performances and gets a seat at a bigger team because I don't see Williams competing with the top teams anytime soon or if at all. All right, let's get into the future of Formula One. This is the exciting stuff, the potential. Uh, we, I think that there could be up to five races in Formula One. Just speaking frankly, I think that they could do something in California. I think that I would love, love, love to have another purpose-built circuit and like built for racing, proper racing, grade one circuit in America. There aren't too many grade one circuits in America right now. Laguna Seca is not one, and Laguna Seca just wouldn't work for for Formula One cars. I think that's too rough, and the elevation change is just too drastic, and the camber's off. The suspension, these cars are so stiff, they wouldn't be able to handle that. Road America is not grade one. Watkins Glen is too too narrow and too dangerous. Yeah, I I really don't know where, but I would love another purpose-built track in Formula One. But I definitely think with Liberty Media's injection of cash and need for, for, for glamorous races, I got, I'm about to put a glamorous count up. I don't know how many times I've said that, but it's true. That's what they're after. I think that there definitely could be up to five races in Formula One in the future. I don't know where exactly, but we will have to wait and see as far as like the near future. 
Lewis Hamilton is working on a Formula One movie with the likes of Brad Pitt and Damson Idris. And that should be coming in the next year or two. So or later this year, Brad Pitt has been training in a Formula Two car, which is the feeder series for Formula One. Brad Pitt has been training in a Formula Two car, and Mercedes are going to help modify and create a Formula One car. And he's actually going to drive on the grid with real F1 drivers, I believe, during practice sessions to film for filming and stuff like that. And it's going to be basically Brad Pitt is going to be an older driver that comes back to mentor his young teammate who's going to be Damson Idris. It's supposed to lo- be loosely based on Lewis's life, but we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But I am excited for that. I think an F1 movie would be great and is definitely going to do similar to what Drive to Survive does, which is just bring a influx of fans and new fans, especially younger fans, into the sport, which is exciting. We do have potentially a true American team coming to the grid in either 2025 or 2026 in the Andretti Cadillac project, which is really exciting. I think that Cadillac and GM coming in to legitimize Andretti's push into Formula One is hopefully solidifying their position and making it hard to keep them out of Formula One. I know the teams have been against it just because their teams are a little bit greedy. They don't want to split the pie another way. And, I mean, to be fair, I wouldn't want to split my money more another way either. So I get it. But I need to, I need Andretti to get that grid spot. I need an 11 team on the grid. I need two more drivers on the grid. And in addition to that, Andretti have come out and all but said that Colton Herta is going to get a seat. And if you don't know Colton Herta, he's a great indie driver, another American. So we get another American on the grid. I think he's probably the most talented American driver in high-level motorsport right now. So it would be exciting to see him on the grid. He's won multiple IndyCar races. I think he just has to get those super license points and hopefully – Andretti gets their shot. I'd really be excited. I know we have Haas, who's an American team, but they don't they don't have that that American feel, man, and they haven't really bought into their American heritage, which kind of sucks to see. I really want them to. I really wish they would embrace it a little bit more. I know the past couple of years they had like Russian sponsorship, so it really felt more like a Russian team than it did an American. They really don't embrace like the roots and the heritage at all, which is kind of strange to me. And hopefully with Cadillac getting involved in in the Andretti project, it will actually, if they get into the, the, the actual grid, we'll see them actually compete at a high level instead of just running at the back because we've seen teams come into Formula One and just run at the back or maybe get into the midfield and score a couple of points. But if I know anything about GM, GM is here to compete. Now, how quickly they'll be able to get up to speed is going to be the real question, but... I think that they will have a pretty good grasp on things, and obviously the facilities will be up to date. I just hope that GM is not just slapping a sticker on top of an Andretti car and just being a glorified title sponsor. I really hope that they're actually 
sharing and is a real partnership and sharing resources and that sort of thing because i think that'll entice more american manufacturers to potentially get involved i know we saw that ford is getting involved with red bull in the future in the next coming years i think that gm could potentially be another one and i think it would be hella fun if dodge got into formula one because we all know dodge's mindset and they just do go balls to the wall They'll throw anything at the wall to see if it sticks. And I think that seeing more American involvement in Formula One could be really exciting. And I think that as Formula One grows, the drivers are starting to show more of their personality and being bigger social media presences. I know we have Lewis and like Daniel, who are obviously superstars outside of Formula One, and everybody kind of knows who they are and they're their brands and their fashion and music and all kind of stuff. Lewis being crazy, multi-talented guy. I mean, the dude can sing. He's a fashion icon. Um, he owns other racing teams. Obviously, like I was talking about with the movie, it's just all kind of stuff. Charles has got, said he wants to get into fashion, and he started to do – he put out a single, I think, recently, like two weeks ago, and it made like the top ten on Billboard or something like that. He said he would potentially be open to – to doing music with Lewis in the future, which could be cool to see. I think that F1 drivers need to put themselves out there and create more of a brand surrounding themselves in order to become those big top-level athletes and celebrities that they deservingly are. We see with Lando and like Quadrant, his his esports gaming entity and brand, which is really cool. They got some dope merch and some of the YouTubers I follow and content creators that I follow are a part of Quadrant, and they, they do some really cool stuff over there. So, yeah, it's exciting to see the drivers really get involved and create a working machine uh, surrounding their name and using their likeness to, to become global moguls, man. It's really, really cool to see. So, yeah, man, I think that that should give you guys a really good scope of – what's going on in formula one in america at least and the future of the sport in this great country uh great quote quote but <laughs> no i'm just I'm, I'm poking fun but yeah i i think that we have a lot to look forward to as far as american f1 fans if we can just get the ticket prices together i think everything would be all gravy and we could just live our best life and be in Formula One fans. And I'm just going to continue on this journey into manifesting my F1 world tour. My my life's goal is to go to every F1 race in one season. And it'll happen for me one way or another, whether I got to sneak in or whether somebody's going to gonna hook your boy up. We're going to make this happen. But, yeah, I hope you guys have a great Monday and a great rest of your week. And I will see you guys next week for the next topic. Appreciate you for listening. As always, like the video, subscribe wherever you're listening to this at or watching this at. Give the boy a follow. And I appreciate y'all, Naldo gang. I'm out. Peace.